0: This is Mike Lindstedt, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project. You are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, today is a very special day in light of our upcoming Establishing Hope Banquet that is going to be tonight. Pastor Chad, how are you yeah, feeling about
1: buddy. it? buddy. It's, it's great. I'm excited. Uh, excited to see how the Lord uses tonight to just one... Make much of himself, you know, to glorify God and all that He's done. Mm -hmm. um, To hopefully further the work that we're able to do, Mm -hmm. and um, and just celebrate what God's done this year. It's going to be
0: fun. That's right. We've got um, about 125 people signed up. We uh, prepared for 150, so maybe the Lord will give us uh, another 25 before uh, three o'clock today because we're cutting it off at three. Laura said, "Mike, you can't keep it going until the time of. You're going to give me a heart attack." And so we don't want to do that, obviously. So we are looking forward to tonight. We're going to have some great speakers, Senator Beth Mizell, um, Mayor Clay Madden, um, amongst others. And so it's going to be a great night of um, really celebrating what God has done up until this point. But more specifically, the three-year vision that are known as Establishing Hope. Uh, that we've got for the future. And so we are very excited about that. If you could just include us in your prayers, listeners, that would be wonderful. If you can't make the banquet and you would still like to donate towards uh, the Establishing Hope campaign, make sure you go to our website and sign up for our email list if you're not already on it, because uh, throughout the next month, the final month of this year, I'm going to be giving out opportunities for people to sponsor rooms of our 10,000 square foot building that's been donated. And they'll be able to leave a little bit of a legacy here in Mandeville uh, because when you sponsor a room, you'll have your name or your foundation or your business name on a plaque right next to the door saying that you guys were uh, instrumental in the creation of this building. And so if that's something that interests you, we would love for you, for you to be a part of it. You can go to our website, make sure to sign up for our email list and wait for those instructions because they they will be coming out soon. Well, with that out of the way, we do have a bit of a somber, more somber topic today. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been a tragedy that's occurred in uh, an area very close to Mandeville called Covington. If you aren't uh, local here, then Covington is very close. Really, it's about 10 minutes away, except traffic's getting pretty bad, so mm-hmm. now it could be about 30 minutes away. But it's within 10-mile radius of Mandeville. And What's happened is there has been a double homicide mm-hmm. um, with a uh, involving a Catholic priest, um, and then I believe um, another woman associated with Saint Peter's uh, school and cathedral, and apparently this uh, in, these individuals were um, struck in the head and killed, and then their bodies were burned. And so far, the only body that's been identified, positively identified, has been uh, Father Otis, I believe his name is. Mm -hmm. Um, The other body has not been positively identified yet, but um, these individuals were kidnapped, they were struck in the head, killed, and then their bodies were burned. And the person that's currently suspected to have been the perpetrator of the crime is behind bars. Um, And so this is a a tragedy, right, that Mm -hmm. is right here in our community. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a very traumatic event for many people, um, as I've heard. Even one of my personal training clients, who mm-hmm. um, has known Father Otis his entire life, says he's a wonderful man. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that many people in this town have been dra- dramatically affected by this. Yeah, uh, just the nature of the crime itself is not common to this area, right? Maybe common across the lake in there, over there in New Orleans. Certainly, where I'm from, Los Angeles, this is everyday kind of stuff, but not we're, not here in Mandeville and Covington. Yeah, and so. Um, we wanted to make a podcast that really, really supported people um, in in their processing of this yeah. traumatic event. And it is a traumatic event. You know, make no mista- mistake about it. Um, if you knew these individuals and then you found out that they were murdered in any way, but particularly in such a brutal way, mm-hmm. um, it is a traumatic event. And so, don't just brush it off and kind of try to not acknowledge it. You know, especially yeah. if you knew these people we'd really recommend that you, um, that you listen to this podcast. If you know anybody that knows uh, Father Otis and the other individuals, share this podcast because our aim today is really to equip you with a biblical lens. Yeah, We want to help you know how to process this biblically. Mm-hmm. And so um, we've been talking about evil, uh, particularly um, suffering, um, in light of the evil that exists uh, over the past couple of weeks, so today what we 're going to do before we get into the particular situation is again just briefly lay the theological framework for you know understanding evil yeah. under, and in light of who God is you know if he's if he 's all good and all powerful then why does evil exist right is the age old question which we have answered, but we 'll briefly address it again. Um, And then we'll, then we'll get into, you know, how do we deal with it? How how do we process this through a biblical worldview and a biblical lens? Um, And so that's our aim today. And so Mm -hmm. the base text for today is going to be from chapter 11 of John, chapter 11 of John. And um, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I will just briefly give the context and then I'll read verses 28 through 44. But chapter 11 of John is the death of one of Jesus' friends named Lazarus. Many of you have heard the story. Many of you know the story. But Lazarus was dead for four days Mm -hmm. before Jesus came and called him out from the dead. And Jesus allowed this to happen purposely uh, to prove a point. And in verse 4 of chapter 11, um, when he is informed that the one whom he loves, i.e. Lazarus, has died... um, Then he says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. So that's a profound theological statement that Mm -hmm. we wanna just keep in our minds as we have our discussion today. And that's verse four of chapter 11. But now let me pick up in verse 28 uh, through 44. As Jesus approaches uh, the town where Lazarus was, or the tomb rather, where Lazarus was buried, this is where we'll pick up this story in verse 28. It says this, when she had said this, she went and called her sister, Mary. This is speaking of Martha, Mm -hmm. saying in private, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and, and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? and let him go. Hmm. What a powerful story, historical account of the son of God exercising his divinity and his awesome power to call someone back from the dead who had been dead for four days. And so why we wanted to read this text was it shows us a similar situation. There's death. This death in particular was used for the glory of God we see the son of god weeping not because he loved lazarus as much as he hated sin yeah and he saw the sinful effects on someone he loved and just on the world in general and it moved him it says in our english translation that he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled but really that's a kind of a unclear translation some translations translate Greek, greatly troubled as deeply agitated. Yeah. The, the Greek word really means he was boiling over. I mean, he was upset. Mm-hmm. He, he is experiencing this uh, overflowing anger and sorrow and compassion. I mean, he was gutted. Yeah, But not because he was sad that Lazarus died. Remember, he didn't even move until two days after he had heard about yeah. Lazarus' death. So we can rule out that sort of more... Um, emotional interpretation, and really just understand that the Son of God hates sin, yeah. and right here he's seeing the effects of sin. But then, you know, the effects of sin being evil here. Then Jesus overcomes that evil right. with His Word, and so we want to kind of use that as an illustration of the problem that we've just had happen here in Covington. You know, we have we have a brutal death, mm-hmm. we have people feeling sorrow. We have uh, a desire for justice and vindication. Yeah. Um, and so where do we go from here, right, is the question that we want to answer today. Briefly, before we get to those particulars, Chad, let's you and I mm-hmm. just kind of lay the theological framework for evil, Yeah. right? Uh, now, I'll start. Remember, we've said that God is the ultimate cause of all things, mm-hmm. that there is proximate causes and then efficient causes when we're talking about Evil in particular. Mm -hmm. Now, to say that God is the ultimate cause of evil does not mean that he is morally culpable for evil or that he is actively involved himself in executing evil. That's the efficient cause. When we say that God is the ultimate cause, what we mean is this that God, as the only uncreated being through his word, has ultimately created all things. Mm -hmm. That's what we mean. So when God spoke the angels into existence, for example's sake, he had full knowledge, full knowledge that Satan through his own devices would choose to rebel against his creator. Mm -hmm. God ordained this from before the foundation of the world. We know this because Jesus himself in Revelation is referred to as the lamb that was slain from before the foundation of the world. Mm -hmm. So we know that it's not as if God just looked down the annals of history and said, oh, well, man, this creation of mine is really gonna screw some stuff up. Let me get a plan B going here. Mm -hmm. No. There's always plan A. God in his ultimate wisdom that surpasses all of our puny understanding um, is able to use all things for his glory Mm -hmm. and does to manifest his glory in all of its beauty. So just at the outset, that's a brief review of the theological framework for the existence of evil. You can go back and listen to the last four episodes that we've done to get a deeper understanding of that. But Lamentations chapter three uh, sums this up for us very nicely when it says this. Chapter three, verse 38 says this. Is it not from the mouth of the most high that good and bad come Notice it's from his mouth. Mm -hmm. He's the ultimate cause of all things. And so that's the theological framework for the existence of evil. Hey everyone, it's Mike here. If you enjoy listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, then we'd ask you to consider becoming a builder. What is a builder? A builder is a monthly donor, someone who believes in what the Lord is doing through the ministry of the Nehemiah Project. And one of the many things that we do is this podcast. Our goal with the podcast is to educate people on what the Bible actually says and to encourage people to carry out the truth in their lives. And so we need the monthly donations from our builders in order to continue this ministry. So if you want to keep hearing these podcasts, we'd encourage you, head on over to tnproject.org slash donate and become a builder today.
1: Well, I wanna I want to start our discussion off on the basic question that I think everybody has when faced with true tragedy and true like coming face to face with true evil. When we see a situation like this, it, it gives us the reality that evil exists. You know, yeah. there's and it's tough to make any sense of it, right? And so when we see something like this, all of us are are susceptible to asking the one question how can there be evil in the world if God exists? Mm-hmm. That's usually the question that comes to mind. How could God um, be all powerful? How could he be good and allow something like this to happen? That's that's a normal, common question that anyone who faces a, a, a situation like this would ask, right? And so let's Let's give a framework for that question, I think, and as we walk through that, that'll help us give a broader framework, to a lens to look through with this. So when we ask that question, and this uh, comes from a book called The Doctrine of God from John Frame. Um, I love how he breaks it down. He says, if we ask that question, here's what we're actually asking. If God is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, sovereign, everywhere, then he is able to prevent evil, right? Like that would be the, that's the right conclusion. If he is this, he's able to prevent evil.
0: Yeah, so if he spoke everything into existence, knowing what was going to happen, why why did he even speak it into existence?
1: The second question and conclusion that we're making there is if God is good, he wants to prevent evil, right? So we're we're calling into question his omnipotence and his goodness. Mm -hmm. But evil does exist. So the conclusion that oftentimes that we make is either God is not omnipotent or he is not good. That's what rises up in our hearts.
0: That's where you're forced to go. Mm-hmm.
1: And so I want to just point out four dangers of making these false conclusions. And I think this will this will help us point out some other theological doctrines mm-hmm. that we need to see. The first assumption that we make is to make that conclusion that either God's not omnipotent or he's not good, We we must say or assume that sinful, finite humans are morally good in their thinking. So if God's not completely in control, if he's not sovereign, or if he's not good, then one assumption that we tend to make is that humans are morally good in their thinking, meaning that that, that there's goodness within all humans in order for us to make that conclusion. <clears throat> Problem with that is, we know that's not true. right? Uh, we have to talk about the the doctrine of sin and right. um, knowing that sin is in all all the hearts of men. Um, mm-hmm. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 is one place to go. And when it talks about the realities of sinful man's heart is that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Fall in the course of this world, fall in the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah seventeen nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so <clears throat> what that's telling us is it's, it's giving us that reality that all men are sinful. All men have, um, are totally depraved and uh, de- right. our desire is to sin. That, that is the reality. And that began in the, in the garden in Genesis 3 when god creates the world he, there is no sin in genesis 1 and 2 but in genesis 3 satan comes as a deceiver in the form of a serpent and deceives adam and eve and they disobey god and sin comes into the world and we have to understand that there's a that noetic effect that that through one man all men now have sin mm-hmm. right uh, romans 5:12 through one man he disobeyed and now all men
0: yeah, let me, let me go ahead and read that. Yeah, I mean, just before I even say that, this is what Jesus says about the heart of man. It says, nothing that goes into a person can defile him, but what comes out of a person. This is Mark 7, verse 20. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. They defile a person. There's no biblical basis for saying that people are born as a blank slate Mm -hmm. and that somehow things are put into them that then make them evil. Right. Because Jesus just said, no, from within your own heart Mm -hmm. come all these things. So, you know, it's, you have to even think about it in light of Adam and Eve, right? Like, was there something outside of him that put the evil into his heart? I mean, that's a deep theological question, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, Adam had the ability to obey God mm-hmm. but also had the ability to sin. So the temptation comes from without outside. Mm-hmm. but then James tells us like we've already talked about mm-hmm. that each person is lured and enticed by mm-hmm. his own desire right. so Adam and Eve even had the desire to be right? like God exactly to mm-hmm. be like God. and so so then like you said, Chad, the noetic effect of the fall that's that's clearly talked about here in Romans chapter five verse twelve. Uh, another way of saying what we're talking about is the doctrine of original sin. Yeah. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Yeah. Verse 12, chapter five, Romans. Yeah. And you could go on to read it for yourself, but that's what we're getting at here. Right. Is in this particular double homicide situation,
1: mm-hmm.
0: all individuals involved, in fact, all individuals in the world
1: mm-hmm.
0: are already sinners. Mm-hmm. Right? and and so, I'll leave it there because we're getting to the good news,
1: yeah, yeah, but so if we how could this person do this to these how people? could they do this it's it's clear it's sin sin that's how that's how someone can do that now, not all men have those types of thoughts and and will go through with those types of actions, but the propensity for that is in all of us.
0: That's right. I mean, Jesus had that list. I'll read it again. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, mm-hmm. adultery. You just go, You people pick the, pick and choose what type of sin they want to mm-hmm. do. But like you said, the propensity for sin is in the heart of every person.
1: Yeah. So the first false conclusion that we make, if we make the conclusion that God's not omnipotent or that he's not good, is that men must, have, must be good. Mm-hmm. The second thing that we conclusion that we make that's false is that we must deny that scripture is God's word. Because scripture tells us the character of God. It tells us about these things. It tells us how the the truth of how the world operates. Mm -hmm. But in order to make the conclusion that God is not good would be to deny scripture
0: itself, right? What about if people don't explicitly say God is not good but they, they start to make a caricature out of him. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, you know, he, he wouldn't allow such a thing to happen. They just kind of well, leave it there.
1: Well, like we 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 said in the beginning, you may not make the conclusion that he's not good, but then you might make the conclusion that he's not all-powerful. Right.
0: Or it, even if you don't go that far verbally, mm-hmm. and you, a lot of people don't even want to address these kinds of things. Right. It's very difficult. I'll grant them that. Right. But we have to, right? We yeah. have to, to be rooted and grounded in our faith and yeah. to ultimately have... Everlasting hope mm-hmm. and unshakable faith.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and to to deny His power because sometimes we don't want to say that God would do that would make, allow this to happen or that He would ordain it to happen. Then the way that we get ourselves out of that is to make another false conclusion that well He's not fully in control. Right, like that's how you. Justify that in your mind. That's a common
0: view held today. Yes, it is. But even another common view that's very pertinent to what we're saying, and we've said this before according to the state of mm-hmm. 65% of evangelical Christians in America believe that mankind is inherently good. But the Bible couldn't say, couldn't be more explicit to the opposite. Mm-hmm. But 65% of people listening to this podcast will find issue with with the things that we're saying, and yet Mm -hmm. we're reading directly out of the Bible. That's right. So we have to understand, listeners, this will be the last thing we say on this, but the Bible is explicitly clear that evil exists because of the heart of mankind and because of sin in the heart of mankind.
1: Mm -hmm. The third assumption that we tend to make in situations like this when we make those conclusions about God is that we assume that God owes us an explanation for his allowance of evil that we look at something like this and say, like, God needs to tell me why. Like, I need to understand why mm. this would happen. The reality is you're not going to get an answer for why this happens. Not a not a sufficient one that's going to make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, we can look at a situation like this and say, well, it happened because of sin, but that's not going to satisfy, well, why did it have to happen to these people? Why did it have to happen in this way? That's not going to yeah. satisfy that. And God's does not owe us that explanation we have we've talked about Job quite a bit and Job his his life was destroyed by Satan and mm-hmm. God ordained that to happen and mm-hmm. Job was constantly trying to make sense of it constantly trying to figure out if he sinned or he didn't sin so why you know he's constantly trying to figure this out and so when in Job 43 through 14 God comes and, and speaks to to Job Says, then, Job answered the Lord and said, "Behold, I'm a I'm of small account. What shall I answer you? Mm. I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once, and I will not answer twice. But I will proceed no further." Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, "Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Mm. Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God?" Can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then I will also acknowledge to you that your right hand can save you. Hmm. In other words, God's saying, who are you to question me, question my goodness? Are you able to do these things? Are you able to yeah. destroy uh, wicked? Are you able to do all these things?
0: I want to read from Jeremiah 18, the potter and the clay. Mm-hmm. Um, the context here is the Lord is about to bring severe judgment on his people because of their waywardness, right? Mm-hmm. And Jeremiah goes and he he's told by the Lord to go down to the potter's house. And uh, when he goes down there, the Lord says that he will hear his words. And so verse three of chapter 18 of the book of Jeremiah says, so I went down to the potter's house and there he was at his, working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares Yahweh. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand O house of israel Mm. and the apostle paul in romans chapter 9 picks up on that imagery and says to the exact question you just asked chad Mm -hmm. who are you O man to ask god right to question Mm -hmm. god Mm -hmm. will the clay say to the potter why have you made me this way Mm -hmm. and the point is is that god is the only one who has truly free will and so he doesn't have to give his creation an intellectually satisfactory answer to the right. problem of evil. He doesn't have to do anything. Right. He only has to do what he himself desires to do. Mm-hmm. But in Job, like you mentioned, that portion you read is a very famous portion. Mm-hmm. God doesn't answer Job in an intellectual way. Right? He gives him 70 rhetorical questions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Rhetorical because the questions he asks Job are obviously no. Right? Can you save yourself, Job? Right, no. where were you when I laid the foundations of the world, et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera? Right, right. But I think that the, the important thing for for people who are in the midst of really trying to understand something that's happened, that's traumatic, mm-hmm. is ultimately what God said to Job: "Is will you condemn me to justify mm-hmm. yourself?" Mm-hmm. We have to be careful of that mm-hmm. because that's going to be the natural human sinful tendency. is to make God less than he is so that we can comprehend or understand that which is, like Jeremiah said, uh, the heart is desperately sick and wicked. Who can understand it? Mm -hmm. That which is ultimately un understandable in an intellectual way.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, our last conclusion, then we'll get to the answer. But we have to lay these things out because these are the realities of things that we think and. And as we're as I'm saying these things, know that I'm not saying them in a condemning way, but in a understanding way. Like we all can have these questions when yes. something really tragic happens. Absolutely, that is natural. So, if you're hearing this and saying I do have those questions, that's okay. That's that's understandable in a traumatic event like this. Mm-hmm. So the fourth conclusion that we make, if we if we believe God either is not powerful or that He's not good is we must conclude that hope can be found apart from God. Mm-hmm. If we make that conclusion, then we have to ask, well, where do we find hope? Where is Where does hope come from? How do these issues get solved? <clears throat> and if God is is the source of all good, then he's the only place to find hope. Mm-hmm. Isaiah forty thirty through 32 says, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait, on, wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up, with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. First Peter five ten, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Mm-hmm. God is the only place to find hope. Yeah. Which then brings us to how do we how do we switch this what question should we ask the right question isn't is god good or is he powerful or why does god allow this to happen that's not the right question the right question is what is god's answer for evil and how do we find the hope that we that we are desperate to find Mm -hmm. that should be the question we shouldn't question a holy god we should ask the question well how do we find hope then yes how do we make sense of this if god is the one who is good and all-powerful How do we understand these things in light of who he is and where do we find hope? And God answers the problem of evil in the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's how we make sense of this. Genesis 3.15, God makes a promise to defeat the curse of sin and death when he tells Adam and Eve that that she will have a a son and her offspring will crush the head of the serpent. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time that we see that Christ is proclaimed in Genesis 3.15, and Christ does that on the cross. Mm-hmm. We see God's full character revealed through the gospel. We see God's holiness. We see his justice. We see his wrath that's poured out on his son, Jesus, the wrath that we all deserve because of our sin. Yes, But Christ takes it on our behalf for his glory and for the good of those who love him. And we also see God's mercy and mm-hmm. God's um, um, grace. Also, because in that same act, he doesn't require us to take the wrath that we deserve. That anyone who believes in Christ will be imputed the righteousness of Christ and his blood will cover us and we will be forgiven mm-hmm. and made new and made into a new creation as 2 Corinthians five seventeen tells us. Mm. And our hope is an eternal hope that in the, in the end of all this, this life is temporary, even if evil happens. That the Lord will make everything good mm-hmm. and it'll be made right, and the and as the Revelation talks about with even the martyrs who've suffered
0: mm. at the how hands, long, O oh Lord,
1: and and He will wipe away every tear. Yes,
0: right. I'm thinking here as you're speaking, Chad. You know, Jesus Christ in His death on the cross swallowed up death. I mean, mm-hmm. He took everything that sin could give, and He took He allowed it to to have its full desire to kill Mm. just just he just basically for lack of a better way of saying what i'm thinking is jesus basically said have have at it right sin come just come for it give me everything you got Mm. and they did and it did right satan just had a a, just a free a free pass right right and then on that same body god's wrath was poured out right but spiritually there there was even something that we can't even begin to comprehend occurring. Mm-hmm. You know, the darkness that was there for three hours over the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Um, God's wrath, God's judgment, the gloom and dense gloom of God's judgment being manifest was also occurring. And in doing that, Jesus was taking the wrath of God for all who would believe in him unto himself, He who knew no sin became sin so that we may become the righteousness of God in him, Paul says. Mm -hmm. Like Christ became that on our behalf. And so when he was resurrected by the power of God, we have been given a way to be delivered spiritually Mm -hmm. from the effects of sin and God's wrath on it. There's been a spiritual exodus, right? right? And the New Testament writers picked up on this this Old Testament picture of God's deliverance. And one day there will be the ultimate vindication of the saints here in the creation, yeah. when God recreates this world and eradicates sin from it. Mm. And this is the hope of heaven, the new heavens, the new earth, that, that the spiritual side of the equation has already been taken care of. Yeah. There will be a physical deliverance mm-hmm. from sin ultimately in the new heavens and new earth where sin will be no more. Mm -hmm. It will be cast out. It will be swallowed up in the lake of fire. Mm -hmm. And all those who love sin and all those who worship themselves and and Satan, they will have a place in Mm -hmm. God's wrath Mm -hmm. in the lake of fire for all eternity. And that's the bad news. Mm -hmm. But right now, you, you just don't have to be there. You don't have to go that route. You can have deliverance now. I mean, you can have hope in the here and now while sin still is a very real thing. Yeah, that's right.
1: And so how do we look at this situation? How do we begin to heal? How do we how do we look at it through the right biblical framework? Well, the first answer is because of the hope in eternity, what you hope for is if those that were murdered, if they had their true faith in Christ, that although they went through a very tragic event and moment, that they're in heaven with Christ and that their tears are wiped away Mm -hmm. and they're being comforted with God. And what this should call us to think about is our own lives and our own sins. Do I have that same hope? Mm -hmm. Do I have my affairs in order, if you will? Do I have hope through Christ? Have I made Christ Lord? Have I been forgiven through the blood of Jesus because of faith alone in Christ alone? If so then if I am to face a tragic event in my own life, this life is not the end. This life is not the hope. And there will be comfort um, through our Father who is in heaven. Amen. But the other side's also true. That I've heard it said, uh, John MacArthur said it best, that for the Christian, this is our hell. We deal with sin, we deal with evil all around us. And this life isn't always bad, but they can get bad. Mm-hmm. But this is as bad as it ever gets for the Christian, mm-hmm. that our hope is in Christ and in eternity. For those who are not in a relationship with Christ and have not submitted their hearts to the Lord through Christ, this is as good as it gets. This is your heaven. Mm-hmm. And all that awaits is dealing with the full wrath that our sin deserves in hell one day. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at a situation like this, it should call us to question in our own hearts. Do I have that hope in Christ? Do I have a hope in an eternal glory? Do I have a hope that I will be with Jesus forever in heaven one day mm-hmm. and where sin will be dealt with fully through creation? Everything, will, sin will be dealt with fully at that point and the world will be recreated. There will be no sin in heaven. There will be no uh, opportunity for it any longer. mm mm-hmm. Do I have that hope? That's gotta be the question.
0: Yeah, that's the inward uh, look that you should you know, have in your own soul. And outwardly, we should we'll always remember that vengeance is not ours, mm-hmm. right? We should never avenge ourselves. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 18, tells us this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord, to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome by evil. It says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yeah. So as you've you know introspectively looked into your own heart, making sure that you are right with the Lord and come to the conclusion that you are, or if you've come to the conclusion that you are not, you need to become right with the Lord then we must understand, well, how do we then live towards this individual? Even if we've never met this individual who has committed these homicides, right? Mm -hmm. We have to have that attitude of forgiveness, right? That we will not desire to take vengeance ourselves, but leave it into the hands of God. We should pray for this man to ultimately repent and come to know the Lord Mm -hmm. and the forgiveness that is only possible through the gospel, right. um, we should not wish the worst upon this man. We should pray that this man would repent and come to know the Lord. And that ultimately that if he doesn't, we know that the Lord will have vengeance. Mm-hmm. He will repay. Right. God is not mocked. All sinners who do not repent will experience his wrath for all eternity. Yeah. And so we can know that justice will ultimately be satisfied mm-hmm. whether it's in this life here and now or it's in the the on the other side mm-hmm. of death. Um but we should practice an attitude of forgiveness praying yeah. that this man would come to know the Lord.
1: Yeah. And I'll give one caveat there. It doesn't mean that we don't want justice in the way God has set it up. The Bible's clear in Romans 13 and 1st Peter 3 or 2. Yeah, 1st Peter 2 that the lord puts authorities in place for this very purpose to mm-hmm. punish evil and so although we should care about his soul as mike is saying it doesn't mean that we don't want him caught put in jail serving right. serving the rightful sentences for his actions That's right. um we we certainly should want that and and when we say we have grace towards the like when we look towards our enemies in that way it doesn't mean that we wish that he doesn't have to go to jail or if we wish right. that he doesn't, you know, have to deal with the consequences of his sin, we certainly, he should deal mm-hmm. with the consequences of his sin. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, since we all have that same type of sin within us, we know that sin's always dealt with. It's either dealt with on the cross
0: mm-hmm.
1: for our sake through Christ or we deal with it on our own in a place called hell.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: God will not be mocked.
0: That's right. So we hope that this podcast gives you some um, perspective. We hope that this has provided you with some instruction. Um, just to be absolutely clear, what has happened is a tragedy. Um, and we, we, we do hope and wish and pray uh, for those who have been affected personally by the death of Father Otis um, and, and uh, Sister Ruth, that um, they would mourn, that is very needed, Um, but ultimately that they wouldn't be given over to mourning, that they will find the light um, and that they will uh, have hope in Christ and and what he has accomplished for all people who believe uh, by his death, burial and resurrection. And that we hope that justice is served here in, 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 you know, this side of death, but ultimately our, our prayers ultimately are for the salvation of the individual who um, is giving himself over to sin, Mm -hmm. that he would ultimately repent truly. And, um, and have his sins dealt for uh, or with through the cross of Christ. Chad, any final words before we sign off today? No, I think you said it well there. It's
1: just, these things are difficult. And grieving and mourning are proper mm-hmm. in this situation. That, and it should cause us to really reflect on our
0: own hearts mm-hmm. in, in these times. Well, we thank you all for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and
1: overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.